Are You Just Watching is produced and sponsored by D. Joseph Design from djosephdesign.com, where you can get website design, web hosting, presentation design, all sorts of design services. You have a message that deserves to look great. So make your next message look or sound great by hiring D. Joseph Design from djosephdesign.com. Are You Just Watching is also brought to you by dkingdesigner.com where you can get publication design you know you've been wanting to write a book for a long time well here's your chance to write it and get it designed to look good when you get it published so check it out dkingdesigner.com Are you just watching? Initial Reactions 6, Alice in Wonderland. I'm Daniel Lewis. And I'm E. Franklin. And welcome to the one and only podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. Welcome. Welcome, yeah. You remember to say it this time. Yes. I I always pat myself on the back when I do that. (laughs) We finally took advantage of our press passes. Yes. I've been getting these things in the mail for a while, and I've been seeing the emails notifying me of things we could go to, but it just never really worked out for our schedules. That, and there just hasn't been any movies that we were willing to make our schedules work for. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Yeah, <laughs> Movie studios, release some better movies, please. Actually, we do have a full list of movies that are coming out on DVD that we want mm-hmm. to talk about. There are yes. plenty of them. Like Ice Age, we're still trying to f- pick which Ice Age we should do. There's 2012, that end of the world movie I think we should talk about. There are mm-hmm, s- several other end of the world kind of movies and science fiction and all sorts of kinds of things. But this last Tuesday, we had the opportunity to see a movie that isn't the first of its kind. But it was certainly very unique Unique. version of its kind. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a classic, well, not a classic, but it's a retelling or a sequel to the classic story. If we could even call it a sequel, I don't know. (laughs) Alice in Wonderland. Thank you, Danny Elfman, for that wonderful music. Danny Elfman's music has really gotten cool over the years. Yeah, it it was good music. It was worth sitting through all of the credits at the end just so we could listen to the music. (laughs) Yeah, which is what makes us great co-hosts together is because we both like to sit through the credits. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. (sighs) So, in short, what did you think of Alice in Wonderland as entertainment value? It was a, it was entertaining. I think it was a little weird, but then Tim Burton is a little weird, so anything by him is going to be 
in that category. Yeah. <laughs> um, I it was it was worth sitting through. I enjoyed it. So when I went there and saw it, as things were happening, I kept asking myself, "Is this the way the original story goes? <laughs> Is this how it happens?" Is I didn't realize going into this that it was that it- a sequel. Yeah, it was kind of a twisting. I, I was, I kind of did some research this afternoon trying to figure out where where they got the story because it it wasn't Alice in Wonderland, definitely. Uh, I think it was kind of a twist between Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there, which is the um, sequel, the actual book sequel to Alice Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. And I think they kind of took bits and pieces out of that book and they combined it with the nonsense poem Jabberwocky, which is a poem that's actually in Through the Looking Glass. And they took some of the story from that poem. Wow. So, yeah. But, and, and with a, you know, nice bunches of twists added by Tim Burton to make the film even more weird than the story actually was. Which <laughs> yeah, I typically don't like weird kind of films like Alice in Wonderland, but it was it was fun to watch mm-hmm. and had some good humor in it and some awesome effects. We saw it in 3D. Mm-hmm. And have you seen a 3D movie before? I've seen one a long time ago at Disney World where they have their 3D theaters, but I've never actually gone to see one in but a theater. That 3D. was the old... Uh, like Back to the Future, blue and red lenses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I hated those all the time. This was the new polarized thing, and it was pretty cool. I really yeah. liked it. So if you guys uh, are listening to this before you see the movie, go see the movie in 3D. If you're listening to this after you've already seen the movie, then you should have seen it in 3D. Yeah. Well, you know, and we should warn right now that as we discuss the film, we're going to totally destroy it, you know, from a spoiler aspect. So (laughs) uh, um, probably don't want to keep listening if you're wanting to be surprised by anything in the film. Right. Mm -hmm. But come back to us. Yes, but do come back and listen to us after you've seen it. So I think Alice in Wonderland was a lot about choice and destiny, really. Yes, and and knowing who you are, personal identity, that kind of thing. Which I, I kind of think the original Alice in Wonderland was a little bit like that anyway, so it's kind of like a general theme in the story to begin with, is finding out who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's also an interesting question at the very beginning, while Alice is in the world, real world and... She's questioning all these things, and she has an imagination, whereas everyone around her doesn't. And <laughs> she's stuck in this you know, pimp, primpy, whatever, puffy sort of lifestyle, and everything it's, is prim and proper. That's the phrase I was looking for. Prim and proper. <laughs> and some guy wants to propose to her and they're planning this whole big party and everything so that he can propose to her. But in all of this, a question is asked. The question is, who's to say what is proper? Mm-hmm. And that was a question she asked her mother because they were going to this um, party and, and she didn't have the right stockings on and she wasn't wearing a corset. And then she's like, well, who's to say what is proper? So in context, it's it's kind of interesting because she was definitely fighting against the the conventions of her world. (laughs) 
It is a valid question, though, because mm-hmm. if you build a worldview without the Bible, without the logic of Scripture, then you have to rely on your own logic, which is flawed. And mm-hmm. even the evolutionists say that all of this stuff came about by random processes and essentially by chance. So therefore, to be consistent, they'd have to say that logic came about by chance. And so their thought process came about by chance and random processes. So really, who is to say what is proper? Because mm-hmm. without a biblical foundation of absolutes, absolute moral values, what is proper is whatever you want it to be. Right. And you can take that even further because later on in the movie, uh, she's, I can't even remember remember now which character she was talking to, but uh, she's, she, was set, she was told you cannot live your life to please others. And I think it was followed up later by the choices yours in the same conversation. But I looked up and I found the scripture, Galatians 1.10, where it says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I st- still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And it's just kind of a reminder that we can try and please people, but if, if we're doing that, then our, our sights are on the wrong thing from a, from a Christian perspective, where our, our total existence is to please God, not to please men. Mm-hmm. And I'll get back to um, the issue of the choice a mm-hmm. little bit later, but in talking about like what is proper and moral absolutes and relative absolutes and such, there was a character in here that was called, interestingly enough, Absolute. That's the Absalom. character. Yeah, Absalom, the slug. I mean, not slug. <laughs> no, the blue caterpillar. <laughs> yeah, blue caterpillar. Got my terms mixed up there. <laughs> they said Absalom is wise. He's absolute. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. And yet, when he speaks, he speaks in very cryptic, not absolute terms. Mm-hmm. He's like a, one of those strange prophets that he never, he speaks in, in, in parables or, or not quite saying things that you're supposed to kind of understand what he's saying through your own imagination or your own right. knowledge. Or, or you something. have to discover what he's saying, what it really means. Like he says that Alice is not hardly Alice. He's -hmm. not saying she's the wrong Alice. He's saying she is not hardly Alice. And and dealing with Alice in that aspect, you know, because the whole movie when she gets underhill is whether she's the correct Alice or not. They, They want the Alice that has been prophesied to come back and be the hero to destroy the Red Queen's Jabberwocky. And she doesn't think she's that Alice. And she doesn't remember coming before. It was a dream, and she thought it was just a dream. She doesn't remember being in, in Wonderland before. And and so everybody she meets defines her as, are you the real Alice, or are you a different Alice? And and so every person she meets, even Absalom, who says that she's not hardly Alice the first time he meets her, and then the second time he meets her, she's almost Alice. And the Mad Hatter, the first time he meets her, he says, you're absolutely Alice. I'd know you anywhere. And so every character that she meets is defining what kind of Alice, she, how much Alice she is. Now, from a film producer standpoint, I think they, well, not my standpoint, but from a entertainment perspective, I think they took it a little too far when they were talking about over and over. She would say, this is my dream, and she, that she thought she was dreaming so much of the time. I thought they right. overdid that a little bit, but 
it would be understandable that she would think a world with such weird things around her is just especially a dream. being an adult which in the in the books she was a child and even in both of them she was a child so you come back from an adult perspective where she's a, an adult with an imagination but you still when you when you start having all that you know coming at you you're going to immediately think it's a dream and in the original book it kind of was a dream because she's going she's underneath a tree reading a book and and she um sees a rabbit and ends up following the rabbit into the rabbit hole but at the end of the book her her sister wakes her up and she's still under the tree with her book so she actually fell asleep and had the whole thing as a dream and it's her adventures under in in this underland but she doesn't actually know whether she was actually there she thinks she was just dreaming uh-huh. ah now did you notice i was kind of surprised they never pointed it out actually that when she comes up from out of the hole, she still has the three scratches on her arm. Yeah, I did notice that. But they never pointed that out. Obviously, well, it was obvious, but yeah, I'm surprised that there. it was never right. addressed in any way. Like right. she looks at it and just, even just some kind of visual recognition of, whoa, this is really here kind of thing. And she has her dress back because it's like she she grew and she shrank and she had, you know, all kinds of garments made for her throughout her time in Underland. But then when she comes back up out of the hole, she's wearing the dress that she had on when she went back down, when she went down. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Didn't catch that, did you? (laughs) Uh, Trust a girl to notice the dress, right? (laughs) Yes. That's what you're (laughs) looking for. Where'd she get that dress? (laughs) I don't want to shop there, or I do want to shop there. <laughs> now, we have to deal just a little bit with, um, you were talking about Absalom, and at the end they show him, uh, he's a caterpillar, and in the end he's building his little chrysalis to um, become a butterfly. And as he's as he's finishing up, he's having this very you know wise conversation with, with Alice, but as he finishes up, he says, see you in another life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, kind of, I think, roughly talking about the whole transformation of, you know, where you become something out of something else. And Alice becomes something because when she goes back to the real world, she takes a stand for herself and she turns down the wedding proposal and she becomes a woman of business and takes a partner and and goes to see the world. So she becomes something out of her her time under Underland. But then... At the very end of the movie, she's standing on the in the front of a boat, prepared to sail out to see the world. And this little blue butterfly lands on her shoulder, and she says, "Well, hello, Absalom." And then he flies off. And I was thinking, they they kind of played on that. See you in another life, mm-hmm. and she's in her other life, and Absalom came to visit her there in the real world. So I thought that was kind of cute that they that they did that, but. From a Christian perspective, we are always looking forward to another life. So you can kind of pull that in, too, that this is, this is a, a, dull, a dull comparison to what our eternity is going to be. Mm-hmm. Now, Absalom, though, when he transformed from that caterpillar into the butterfly, he not only transformed his appearance, but also his location. That he mm-hmm. was from the underworld, and now he's in the over real world. world? Real mm-hmm. world, yeah. So he not only changed himself, but he changed locations as well. Going back to, like you're saying, kind of 
a little symbolic or not necessarily intentionally symbolic, but it can remind us of someday we will not only have new bodies, but we will be in a new world, in a world with no more tears, no more death or suffering. There is the sword. I forget what the name of the sword was. Oh, it is the Vorpal Sword. And I know that because it's taken from the poem, the Jabberwocky, which I found the text to (laughs) online. The really weird names confused me a lot in this. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, 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 wait, can you give us a lesson on how to pronounce that again? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing about the Jabberwocky as a poem, it's actually a, a, um, a form of literature called a nonsense poem. And Car- Lewis Carroll, I think it was actually, he was the one that introduced this, this format of poetry with the Jabberwocky and uh, through the looking glass, because people do it all the time now. They write poems with nonsense words in, in positions where if you, if you read the sentence, even though the word is a nonsense, you can kind of figure out what it's supposed to be based on the context of the sentence. Hmm. And, and so the whole poem is full of nonsense words. But when you read the poem, it makes sense to you, even though most of the words don't make any sense. It's kind of a form of literature. Huh that Lewis Carroll actually invented. And they took so much from that poem. I mean, because the poem is all about, uh, you know, this creature that the, that this man is going to go slay with his vorpal sword. And then you have the, at the end, after he's slain it, he comes home and they say, Oh, frabjus day, kulu kale, he chortled in his joy. So there's the, from the movie, they, they called it the day when she was supposed to slay the Jabberwocky would be frabjus day. Yeah. And, and so that was where that came from. It came from the poem. And it was amazing how they tied all that in there. Now, so the sword, the Vorpal sword, mm-hmm. did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The Vorpal sword, it was said about the sword because Alice was so nervous. How am I going to slay this Jabberwocky with this sword? And someone said, the sword knows what it wants. All you have to do is hold on to it. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me a bit of a couple scripture verses about the word of God being a sword. First mm-hmm. of all, Ephesians six seventeen, among the passage, the context of the armor of God, it says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then Hebrews four twelve says, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I thought it was a good symbolism of how we as Christians can use the Word of God, that the Word of God really speaks for itself. And, okay, I'm going to take a moment here to mention a campaign that I've seen going on called IamNotAshamed.org. Have you checked this out? I have. It's cool. Yeah. IamNotAshamed.org is an awesome campaign done by one of our favorite ministries, Answers in Genesis. Mm -hmm. And their main thrust, get it, thrust, sword. (laughs) That was totally unintentional when I first said Uh it. Their main thrust is that the word of God speaks for itself. And so they have, they're putting billboards around where they say the word of God speaks for itself on marriage. And then they quote from scripture, either in the New Testament or the Old Testament, where it says, For in the beginning, God created the male and female. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it continues on that theme that the scripture speaks for itself concerning whatever. And on the website, right. IamNotAshamed.org, they're actually running this big uh, campaign to do an online video Bible, the very first online video Bible. And our listeners are going to love this because they can actually videotape themselves reading their reading scripture, and they can send it in, and they'll post it, and they'll become part of this this video Bible of people reading the scripture. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's cool. So why did I say? Oh yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> the Word of God. It's I like how they described the vor. The Vorpal sword in this, that they said the sword knows what it wants. All you have to do is hold on to it. So they're saying that the sword essentially does the fighting for Alice, that Mm -hmm. she just holds on to it. Scripture for us works pretty much the same way. We have to hold on to the word, hide it in our hearts, know the word, but the Mm -hmm. actual battle using the word as a sword isn't up to us. It's up to God. Yeah, it's the word itself. Mm -hmm. There's also a passage that I'll be quickly trying to find while I uh, continue talking. (laughs) But, well, so I'll mention that in a minute. The word of God can fight for itself. It doesn't Mm -hmm. need us to fight for it. We really, I think Christians sometimes do too much to try to explain the Word of God, or even especially those hard passages of Scripture where mm-hmm. they try to explain it away so that it's no it's longer acceptable. as... Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. so bitter against someone, or not bitter, but so harsh. Cutting. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> Scripture is harsh, just like if yeah. he, or Hebrews 4.12 says... That verse that I was listening to, thanks to Eve's help, is... We're looking for, not listening to. Did I say listening to? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oops. Isaiah fifty five eleven says, So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. And this passage describes both the specific word of the Lord that came out, but also describes scripture as a whole, that Mm -hmm. scripture does not return void. It does not return empty, and it accomplishes what God desires. Scripture is so incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. After all, it's by the conviction of scripture that our eternities have been changed. Because without scripture, I've I believe strongly that someone cannot be saved without Scripture, mm-hmm. because Scripture is the Word of God, and without the written, absolute Word of God, how can someone know how to be saved? How can they know from Romans, for example, that they have to confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts? And how can they know that God is uh, faithful to forgive them of sins? How can they know that unless they have actually read it from the Word? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say someone has to read the entire Bible in order to be saved because God's word is powerful enough that just a few verses can be convicting to the soul, dividing of the soul and the spirit, like it says. 
Yeah, I was looking for that passage. Um, how can they know unless they they hear? And Romans ten. Romans ten. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite passages about ministry, about salvation. You got that passage there? Yes, it, and this is, I'm going to choose a different version here, but they have, it's uh, Romans ten fourteen. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to him? To them, and how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Mm-hmm. So it's just a kind of a reiteration that they can't, believe on God unless they hear about him. And the best place for them to hear about him is obviously in his word. Yeah. And that's why God chooses people, like this passage is saying, to bring his word to others. And his word will not return empty. It accomplishes what he wants it to accomplish. Mm, It's a beautiful promise, isn't it? Yeah. I love it. Let's take up another offering again. It's been a few episodes since we've taken up an offering. <laughs> well, you know that this movie, as bizarre as it was, there really wasn't that much to talk about. And no. I, I feel like that of all the movies that we've discussed up till now, it was probably the most devoid of any meaning. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we're filling an episode with it. It had some stuff. Now, there was near the end and all throughout the movie, the idea of choice. So let's get back to that. Okay. Scripture talks a lot about choice, and I'm not going to get into a Calvinism versus Arminianism versus Hobbism, you know, Calvin and Hobbes, Hobbism. I tell people I'm a Hobbist. But there is a passage in Scripture that is very clear about choice, and it's when Joshua is speaking to the children of Israel. In Joshua twenty four fifteen, he says, Choose yeah. for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. And it goes through several times like this that they, the people respond to Joshua, essentially saying, We choose the Lord. No, we will serve the Lord. No, we will not leave the Lord. We will obey him. We will ask his forgiveness. We will obey him. We will serve the Lord and obey his voice. And the, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because from a humanist philosophy, if if you follow the the true the meaning that they were portraying in the movie was that she was having to choose between following what other people wanted her to do and what she wanted for herself. Yes. And and it, it it's interesting that whenever you're watching secular entertainment of any sort, it's always comes back to that either choosing what other people want for you or choosing for yourself. There's no there's no other option. It's like you either do what you want to do or you do what other people want you to do. Mm-hmm. And and it's sad that they have lost the third option of, of choosing the path that God wants for you. And I had kept, you, you were talking about the part there in, in, um, in, uh, where you were reading, sorry. Um, but I also, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I also picked out a scripture on that, whereas Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. And it's, um, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the things that that in all of the secular uh, entertainment that we talk about, 
they, they lose the sight of the fact that if you're following the Lord's plan for your life, you're, you're going somewhere beautiful because he has great plans for all of us individually and as, as a corporate body. And it, it's just such a loss that they, they constantly sidestep choosing, like as you said, choosing God over everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love how... God works in individuals' lives. So many people are afraid of, well, if I do what God says, then he might send me to deepest, darkest Africa where I will absolutely <laughs> hate it for the rest of my life. No, God calls different people differently, and he is so incredible in how he wants, he He grows us in certain ways. And yeah, obeying God will put us out of our comfort zone. It's not mm-hmm. sacrifice if it's not out of our comfort zone. But yeah, right. it's not something that we're going to absolutely hate because he gives us great joy and blessing through obeying him and following his calling for our lives, whatever that specific calling is for each of us. And it fulfills us because he gives us the the desire of our hearts is to do his will and and if we're doing his will, then in some way, doing his will will fulfill some kind of a need or a yearning inside us that can't be fulfilled in any other way. So we'll always be unhappy if we're not following his will because we aren't completely fulfilled in, in our destiny or in our desire to, to do things. So it's now, amazing. Let me throw out a question. I want to see if you got any of this impression at all either. Do you think this form of Alice in Wonderland presents any type of feminist agenda. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, but I, I don't, I think it's kind of a historical femi- feminist because I'm not sure that the point that it would make for today's woman is the same as the point it would make for the, the woman that Alice represents and the time frame that she represents. Right. And Back then, that was definitely an issue for a woman to step out and turn down a, a marriage proposal and, and be her own person. I don't think it's as much of an issue today. It's actually almost an opposite issue today where women are expected to work and have a career and yet somehow uh, have a family too. So it's kind of a, a separate issue today. Than, it's actually an opposite issue today than what is presented in the film. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that what Alice was doing back then, we could call it, mm-hmm. would have been considered feminist movement. But nowadays, we look back on it and say, well, it's good because actually women back then were so constricted. And it was kind of the thought of women should not speak around men or mm-hmm. women should be not just in submission, but in uh, a lower position than mm-hmm. men. And scripture says that we were all created equal and Declaration of Independence says that too. <laughs> um, but that in Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. But mm-hmm. that scripture does teach positions of responsibilities, not uh, not positions. And That's, authority too. Yeah, authority, but not like one is higher than mm-hmm. the other. And that's why I think our society falls into many times is placing one higher than the other and not realizing it's a matter of roles, responsibilities, and authority, which is separate from vertical position, I guess you could say. Right. Right. And I think in Alice's circumstances, she did not have her father anymore. And so her mother was trying to find the best opportunity for her with a lack of having a father to negotiate for her, basically. And I think Alice 
pretty much presented herself at the end as being able to have enough backbone to stand up for herself and and think for herself what she wanted and and in that day and age that would have definitely have ostracized her from polite company because she was not doing what was expected for a woman in her society but today i'll just come back to that opposite meaning today that's not an issue that's what women are expected to do and i think it it puts uh in a bad light those women who choose to stay in the home and raise their children because you know it's not considered a career these days what you stay at home you know <laughs> it's sad because it is it is the best professional woman could have and i'm not saying that from a woman should stay at home because i have a full-time career and i don't stay at home but it's not to me raising your children is one of the most important things that a woman can do and I my my hat is off to every woman who chooses to do that in this day and age because you're actually exercised for doing it nowadays. Mm-hmm. I like that Alice in Wonderland encouraged impossible thinking. Alice's mm-hmm. father was said to be someone who always asks for the impossible or expects the impossible, and, and you would then, think of nine impossible things before breakfast. Was it nine so or six? Alice, it may have been six. Alice tried to think of six earlier. In, okay. Or later in the movie. Right. Yeah. To think, I think that's also a good practice for Christians is think, what are six impossible things that God could do today? Mm-hmm. Well, he could such and such. Or think about six impossible things that God did during the day or in the last week. It's a cool way to exercise our mind to realize how incredible some of the things are that God does for us is to yeah, consider the impossible. It's like one of the um, one of my friends has has said in the past. It's like uh, he calls them God sightings. He's like, "Have you had any God sightings this mm. week?" And I think that's that's a cool way of putting it. It's like you you stop and think back over you know the the time that has passed, and you try and think of how you've seen God in your life. Uh, over and and God is always constantly moving in your life, so you should be able to at least name one yeah. if you stop and think about it. Six would be wonderful. <laughs> so speaking of impossible things, I think it's quite surprisingly impossible that we filled a complete episode with thoughts about Alice in Wonderland when we thought we'd barely have any. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty amazing. <laughs> impossible thing number one today. Impossible. <laughs> So, if you, our listeners, have seen Alice in Wonderland and want to share your thoughts with us, please do so. You can call those in to our voicemail listener line at 859-353-4332. You can email them to us at areyoujustwatching.com. That's us at areyoujustwatching.com. Or leave a comment on the show notes, which will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash podcast slash IR6. IR stands for Initial Reactions. IR6. You can follow the show on twitter.com slash the ramen noodle. No, wait, that's me. That's you. <laughs> you can follow the show on twitter.com slash are you just watching? That's spelling out, or the letters just are you, and then just right. watching. Eve, what's your Twitter address? I'm slash Eve Franklin, my name. And then, as you know, I'm the ramen noodle. (laughs) So if you have a chance to watch the movie, it is a fun movie. So certainly watch it. Check out the review on PluggedIn.com. 
And we look forward to hearing from you and look forward to releasing more episodes as the future comes by. Thanks for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching? is produced and sponsored by D. Joseph Design at djosephdesign.com. The opening vocal talent is thanks to Mariah. Our theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis from their exciting Vacation Bible School curriculum, Operation Space, which you can find at AnswersVBS.com. Find more great, clean podcasts like this one at CleanCasts.com. <laughs>